Hi, I'm Belle B. Cooper. And I'm Curtis Herbert. And I'm Jelly, a.k.a. Daniel Farrelly. And this is Independence, a show where the three of us talk about making a living on the web and on mobile. So today I want to talk a bit about how our customer feedback feeds into that process of making a living in terms of things like figuring out what products to build in the first place, but also figuring out what new features to add, when to do new versions, how to prioritize things that you're building. And I don't know how much the two of you actually take user feedback into that process or how much that process is kind of independent from from interacting with the users. So I'm quite curious to hear about that because for me, user feedback is a really big part of how we plan what we build for our products, how we, how we build new features. I mean, we do a yearly survey for all of our users in our main product. So once a year, we send an email to every single user and we get a huge influx of, of feedback on a bunch of questions that we've set, kind of multiple choice and freeform questions. And then we use that survey to plan what we're going to work on for the next year before we do another survey to hmm. kind of say, here's what we did. We did all these things you wanted. Now, what do you want next? I'm quite curious about this. So Curtis, how do you go about getting customer feedback? How do you kind of collect ideas from your users? And what do you do with that once you've got it? So a lot of it, I think the feedback comes to me. I'm pretty good within slopes to prompt for feedback. As part of the rate dialogue trick I have in my app, uh, instead of doing a pop-up, it does a part of the table view saying, are you enjoying slopes on the main view that they're looking at every season? Um, and within some rate limiting of that, uh, I prompt them. And if they say, no, I'm not, I prompt them for feedback right there. Mm. And that's actually gotten me a lot of good feedback. It's been something that helps my ratings when they say yes. And then I say, can you please review in the app store? But honestly, like the amount of feedback, I was expecting that to just kind of help mitigate some of the negative reviews, but it's really turned into a great feedback mechanism. So a lot of the feedback I get through that, although one time I did something similar to you was the end of last season. So probably April 2016. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. I, it was the first season with my big 2.0. So I kind of wanted to figure out where to go from there after a successful season. And I sent out a big customer survey to my newsletter list. And I got, uh, I think, like 500 responses or something. They were pretty good. Mm, and that wow. definitely not so much told me exactly what to do next, but helped me check what not to do next. A lot of it was showing that some of the things a vocal minority might have been interested in were were definitely not the norm, which really was good because that would have been a rabbit hole to go down. I don't necessarily get a lot of direct customer feedback. I get a lot of support requests, which is tends to be where I kind of get my gauge of where things are at within my, I guess, my community of users. Because what happens is people will ask just questions and then as long as I can kind of read between the lines, I can kind of figure out what they want. I mean, I run a, mm. an app for gifts. So as a general rule, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's very dependent on kind of where things are at in within like the social media aspect. So for the last couple of years, at least, aside from maybe one or two features, which people have been like, rah, rah, we want rah, rah. Most of the stuff that I've gone on to develop has been really obvious because that's the thing that Apple has introduced that makes a lot of sense. So last year, mm -hmm. they introduced iMessage apps. Mm. And I do collect analytics on various different things. And we'll go into that a bit more later, I'm sure. And then what I found was messages made up a huge amount of where people were going to share. So it made a lot of sense to throw an iMessage app in there. And it's so, you know, I, I do, I, mm. I have collected customer feedback. But as a general rule, it doesn't really send me in any particular direction. 
So, Bell, you said you had that the large survey that you send out once a year. How much of that factors into your roadmap? Is that something that is, you know, 80% of what you build is based around the results of that survey? Or is that just kind of a metric kind of like I used as a gut check along the way to say, you know what, here are the features mm-hmm. we are maybe thinking about and what's important to you? I would say it's, it's a big part of what we do. It's, yeah, maybe 80%. What we usually do is once we've got the majority of the responses and there are only a few trickling in but we we can tell that most mm-hmm. people who are going to fill it out have done so we usually go through and pull out any of the low-hanging fruit any of the really small things that'll take a day or less than a day to do and we put together a list of those things and we'll go through and we'll we'll fix those bugs or make those changes that are that are quick and then usually after that's done, that'll take a week or two. And then we'll we'll usually write up a blog post or and send an email to our users and say, thanks for doing the survey. Here are a bunch of little things that lots of people brought up that we've already fixed or changed. And then here are some of the big things that we're going to plan to do across the next year. And those kind of big rocks that we plan out for the next year usually come from the survey. It's usually a, a set of questions about things that we already have an idea of okay. based okay. on support requests and what people say when they delete their accounts. We ask them why they're deleting and that kind of thing. So quite a few of the questions will be things like, here's a handful of stuff that we're thinking about building new features or things that we can build more on, like we integrate with lots of services. So one might be doing more integrations and we'll ask people to vote for one of those, one out of five or six and say, if we could only do one of these, what's the most important to you? Or here are some different directions we're thinking about taking the product in, which of any of these are interesting to you. So usually it's it kind of comes from us based on feedback we've had throughout the year, but then having all of those people thrown at it all at once, so you get hundreds and hundreds of responses, really helps us solidify what do people care about um, and just validate our hunches, I suppose, or figure out if our hunches are wrong based on, like you said, the vocal minority can sometimes really give you the wrong idea. Yeah, it can be distracting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Has being public with your survey responses ever bit you in the butt? If you say like, hey, you know, 80% of you voted for this feature, and then you get into development, it's just like, shit, we can't do this. It's not going to (laughs) happen. Have you ever had anything like that? Or has it been mostly because being transparent with your roadmap can be pretty intimidating at times. It's certainly something I'm afraid of. And it sounds like you and your partner are very public about your roadmap, at least on a yearly cycle. Mm, Definitely. Yeah, we've been we've been really transparent. For most of the the time since we started, at least our our first main product, we've got a public page where you can see how much money we're making and how much more we need to make before I can work on the product full time. And we've got an actual roadmap that shows what's in progress and what's coming up where people can vote and that's all public. So we're pretty transparent about that stuff. And for the most part, we've found that we haven't hit any issues. Sometimes we have to implement a feature in a way that's not quite what people asked for. Like right now we're working on a feature where we, we had heaps and heaps of votes for kind of two different features. One was um, because we have a, a personal analytics product and one was that people wanted to track anything they wanted. They didn't want to only track things that came from other services we integrate with or things that we decided they could track. Like we built in mood tracking, but you have to use it the way that we've built it. And they just wanted total free form, track whatever you want. Mm. And then there were some other people who just wanted some manual number tracking where they could just enter how many coffees they had in a day. And it was just a manual input of a value. But we had heaps of votes for both of these features and we've kind of developed something that kind of fits both of them, but it's not exactly either of them. 
And that's something where we've just had to say, this is what works with how we've built the product so far. And we think it's close enough that it's going to satisfy most of you. And for now, that has to be good enough. So being transparent means that you really have to be willing to justify the decisions you make, I guess, because people expect you to do what they asked for because you asked them what they wanted. But so far, it hasn't hasn't been a huge problem, I guess. Jelly, are you transparent with the stuff that you're working on before you release stuff? Or do you keep it kind of quiet? I, I keep it very quiet. I keep everything close to my chest. <laughs> if you talk to Mel for more than 10 minutes, she will tell you that I love a good surprise. So that plays into mm. everything that I do. I do not share basically anything that I'm working on currently until it's ready to go. Part of the reason is, is because sometimes when I like if I if I over I feel I overshared I lose the joy of actually building it which is kind of you know kind of means that now it's now it's actually really work um and that's that's just not fun (laughs) we don't do work as indies come on (laughs) (laughs) but you know like if I have if I'm working on something that I I'm going to get to reveal like for instance recently I launched Twitter, like Twitter gift passing, and people have been asking for that for for years. But until recently, I hadn't really been able to get around to doing it. And I developed it kind of in secret. Maybe a couple of people knew I was doing it, and then released it, and people like went nuts. And that was very validating for me. So I tend to keep things close to my chest because I I like that that you know validation at the end because it means that I will work towards that. Even if it's uh, even if the kind of middle part is a bit tedious, sounds like I'm kind of in the middle between you two because I'll I started out very afraid of being public with my features just because I didn't want to get uh, a bunch of negative feedback if I couldn't ship a feature for some reason. You know, if I genuinely tried like localization last year, I genuinely just I burnt out trying to do it, and fortunately I didn't get much flack for that. So I, I'm trying to be more transparent with some of the bigger features coming in slopes this fall, at least on Twitter and stuff. I haven't done anything through my mailing list, or if a customer writes in, I'm not like, "Hey, by the way, here's a preview for Slopes three. It, it's just kind of teases on Twitter here and there, even through the official Slopes Twitter account. But like the the one or two tentpole features, I'm starting to experiment with teasing with a little, because um, as much as I like a surprise. I also feel like I wanted, you know, everyone, at least in my niche, they're spending the summer right now in the Northern Hemisphere bummed because there's no snow. And they're they're already looking forward to the winter and they're looking forward to resorts opening and everything. And now I'm giving them one more thing to look forward to and to talk to their friends with of like, mm-hmm. hey, not just did you see this new snowboard coming out from Burton, but hey, did you see that awesome feature Slopes is working on? So I'm kind of trying to build into the seasonal anticipation uh, that my market already has. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> what about when, like, have you, either of you ever had to, like, remove features or roll back stuff that you've previously had implemented? I know I've dealt with this personally. Like I just said, I, I had I had stuff to do with Twitter in, in GIF Wrapped early on. It was one of the launch features. It got written about a lot. I had to remove it because all of a sudden Twitter GIFs were just not showing up because they weren't actually GIFs. They were videos and copped a lot of flack for it uh, afterwards and still even even now, like even now that I've kind of introduced new stuff um, to do this, to do what it originally did. Um, have either of you had to do do any of that and what was the fallout from that was being public about that helpful not helpful yeah i haven't i haven't had any bad experiences with that we've pulled features out 
that nobody was using just to yep. clean up our product because it was starting to get feature bloat and there were things that we thought would turn into something great later and just nobody cared about them. And nothing happened when we removed them, which is exactly what you want. It's just validation <laughs> that you're yes. pulling out the right things. Yeah. So for us, we haven't we haven't had any bad experiences with that yet. What about you, Curtis? Um, I'd say I've only had one. I don't want to classify it as bad, but for some customers, it was certainly bad. Um, experience overall for slopes it wasn't the end of the world it was a small niche anyway um, but I had shipped uh, geez I think back in my 1.0 days support for Pebble watches back before Apple Watch and Pebble unfortunately changed their SDK after promising that the old SDK wouldn't break spoilers it broke so when slopes 2.0 came out I think around uh, December of 2016 I got an email from a customer like hey Pebble just doesn't work anymore and I started poking at the SDK and realized like, hey, their old SDK broke when they told me it wouldn't. And I basically had to rewrite everything in my iOS app to support their new SDK if I wanted everything to work again. So at that point, I mean, looking at Pebble and seeing Apple Watch coming out and getting a lot of traction, I was just kind of like, well, I have to pull this feature, if nothing else, because I can't ship a broken feature. Um, so I removed it from the app mm -hmm. and got a couple emails from customers, less than a dozen over the course of a winter, just like ranging anywhere from like, hey, where's the Pebble app to like, what the hell did you do? Where's the Pebble app? And most of them were reasonably understanding when I explained things. A couple of them said, well, we're going to switch apps. And I'm sorry. And then a couple months after that, Pebble got bought by Fitbit. And it was basically announced that Pebble's just going to be sunsetted and not going to exist anymore. Uh, so the, the problem kind of got swept under the rug for me, which was very convenient. Mm -hmm. And even if it hadn't, though, it wasn't a huge part of my market. I haven't had any major catastrophes yet, which is really good. But I'm interested, about you you mentioned um, the idea of pulling features and that you've had to do that a couple times. And that kind of gets into like what features on the flip side of that is what features do you prioritize building? Mm. So like how how do you balance that? Like the idea of spending engineering time to pull features to remove engineering bloat is, you know, that's good engineering. That's a good practice. But that's certainly time you have to budget. Mm. So how does that kind of go into your prioritization queue? Yeah, we're in an interesting position because... There are two of us and Josh works on our product full time and he's handling our web app and our Android app and he handles most of the business admin, tax, accounting and a lot of the customer support as well just because he's there all the time. And I'm working part time and doing some of our marketing, some support and then our iOS app. And because I'm a lot newer to programming than Josh is, I'm a lot slower at implementing features so he can implement a feature on Android that will take me double the time to do on iOS. And in the past, it would take maybe four times as long. So what often happens with a really big feature is that Josh will build, he'll build it into the API and into the architecture of our web app, and then he'll implement it on Android, which is always really helpful for me because then he can kind of give me a step-by-step, -step, here's what I did on Android, and I just have to translate it. Hmm. So it makes me a lot faster at implementing it. But then there's this process where He's ready to go. He's ready to launch it. And he's twiddling his thumbs while I finish implementing it. And while I do lots of beta testing, because being a newer programmer, I tend to have more bugs to fix as well. So those are the times when we'll do things like he'll, he'll do some cleanup or he'll implement some smaller features that have been on the back burner because they weren't a priority. So okay. we're kind of lucky, I guess, in a sense that we have those periods where rather than run, rushing off to start another big feature, which doesn't really make sense when we haven't launched the previous one, he's got these periods of time that really make sense for him to be doing maintenance and 
you know, improving our server load or all these things that just get put off otherwise. And if it was just him working full time and we didn't have to worry about the iOS app, probably a lot of those things wouldn't get done because they're so hard to prioritize. Yeah, I certainly put off a lot. <laughs> yeah, with with only one developer each, it's obviously different for you to try to balance that load. So how do you prioritize that kind of stuff in terms of maintenance and, and just improvements and maintenance releases versus those big new features? I generally find myself prioritizing based on kind of what I want to work on, which sounds really terrible in like when you think about it because no, that's awesome that's part of owning a product <laughs> yeah but you know like you know you know how they say that like you, some somebody's got to do like the the drudge work somebody's got to you know do the, the, the mm-hmm. boring stuff there are actually times when i enjoy working on the boring stuff as weird as that sounds but i i tend to go through cycles i mean it's somewhat mm. dependent on how i ship as well as an example, I've just shipped a major version and then a patch version for that within the last couple of weeks. So obviously, you know, shipping a major version and then a patch version, there's, you know, some bug fixing and stuff that I've got to throw in there because inevitably, you know, there are stuff that I they it made it past my beta testers. But then kind of coming off of that, my first thought is, oh, well, you know, I've got this new version that I'm working towards for September and I've got to do a bunch of kind of architectural stuff, but I just really don't feel like working on the architectural stuff. I feel like working on something flashy because all I've done is fix bugs recently. And so, you know, now I'm prioritizing kind of doing the flashy UI stuff so that and kind of just effectively prototyping so that I can kind of build stuff underneath, I guess. That that I, so you know my prioritization is whatever the hell I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> I guess because I'm seasonal, it kind of depends on the time of the year. I do tend to put off any big new server changes for the summertime because my monthly active users are just tanked at that time. So I feel a lot safer futzing with the server at that point. Um, so I'll try and do a lot of prep mm. into the season, be it new features on the server or maintenance on the server. I definitely feel like I have. You know, I can always hotfix, but new stuff that I'm worried about, I tend to focus in that period. And that, hmm. I think, helps me focus where I can't just be, oh, I can do this at any time. I know that I have kind of a six-month window to pull this off without impacting the largest part of my user base. Yeah, I see, I see how it is. Us Southern Hemispherians, is that yeah. it? Wow. Us, we, we just get the short end of the stick as far as you're concerned, isn't that, is, is that no, right? No, no. Hey, no. If, <laughs> if there are more users down there, that's the problem. And But I'm trying to optimize to get more Southern Hemisphere users, uh, which did you know your ski resorts just opened this weekend? I pay attention to you folks down there. <laughs> well, I didn't even know that. <laughs> exactly. But no, so yeah, I'll do server stuff during the summer, but then I'll also... I I think for the iOS side, my maintenance and bug fix type stuff just tends to be a panic after a major release. I tend to just go in and try and firefight. I know (laughs) I'm going to have to spend a week or two after a major release on just what did I miss cleaning up stuff Mm -hmm. and any other like maintenance type stuff like I'm debating moving to iOS 11. I do over the summer just because that's kind of the time that I feel like I have for non-visible changes. I mean, I need to make some big visible changes, but... I don't have time for stuff like that when I need to be shipping a major version every month and a half during the winter. Um, so that tends to fall more towards the summer. 
So when you're deciding, Jelly, you were saying what you work on is mainly about what you want to do at at the time. Is that the same way that you decide what features you should build and what you shouldn't? If you're just looking at an idea for a feature and whether it's worth your time, does it just depend on whether you think it'd be fun to build or whether you'd use it yourself? How do you make those decisions? Partially a little bit of both, but also partially based on what people tend to ask for, although not necessarily Mm. always directly. I'm trying to think of a real concrete example. I mean, one of the things that I did recently, it's not really a big, big flashy feature, but one, it was one of the key, the headline things of my last major release was fixing some of the problems that the app had with really large libraries. Fun fact, people like GIFs. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Most of my users, a hundred, couple hundred. I'm in my, that boat myself. I've, like you, you have a bit of a collection and it's just kind of a small collection and whatever. <laughs> Uh, Have you seen my GIF collection? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, did you just say GIF? GIF? <laughs> the war sounds. <laughs> Whereas there are, other, there are other people, there are other people out there that have literally thousands, th- thousands in their library. And so one of the thing, one of the big kind of things that I did with this last release was resolve that. And, you know, th- thanks to a lot, a few of my beta testers kind of bringing that up with me. So, I mean, it is a little bit of that and uh, like a little bit of what I want to do and a little bit of what other people kind of are finding that they need. Mm. You know, as far as the flashy type stuff tends to go, I do like I, I have a policy that I will never turn down a, a feature request. If you ever have the pleasure, if that's a, if, even if that's what it is, uh, of like <laughs> seeing me interact with somebody asking for a feature in GIF Wrapped, it's always like, Sure, I'll add it to my list, but I like I, I make no promises. Yeah, that's what I do. I kind of do choose the things that I like to work on, uh, but obviously a lot of that comes from people suggesting things and uh, and requesting stuff. Um, sometimes when people request stuff, it is actually fun to build, so it kind of makes you know kind of hits mm. both of those things. But as a general rule, yeah, I while I say that I'll keep in anything in mind, and I really do. I've got literally hundreds of them. It all comes down as to whether or not I feel like I can fit it in, and whether I feel like it's kind of worth it. I guess in the end, that, that's mm. going to be a whole other show topic at some point. How do we keep track of these feature requests? Because I know I've gone through a couple iterations of that. But it, for me, I think it started as originally just opinionated software, just gut checks for what I thought belonged in slopes. And I still use that a lot. That's helped me, if anything else, just prevent feature bloat. You know, this is not the goal of slopes. So as I've gotten a pretty mature app, I still have plenty of ideas. But as it's gotten reasonably mature, that gut check has more helped me fend off the hundreds of ideas coming my way from customers. You know, it'd be awesome if I could look Mm -hmm. up a resort and see how much powder they got this morning. Yeah, there are other apps for that. (laughs) That's not what this is for. Um, That's like asking Nike's running app to tell you what the weather is. That's not the purpose of the app. But I've also started to mix in a lot of the less fun stuff um, of business which I assume for you, Bell, on the SaaS side, like that, that seems hugely more important for SaaS than it does for just plain old iOS apps. But I'm starting to really dip my toes in the water of, okay, what's my conversion rate here? How can I make that better? You know, my whole idea mm-hmm. of the sync system is so I have server side data now so I can run more analytics on that. Maybe do targeted offerings of season pass discounts at people that are just at the cusp of making that worth their while or like, all kinds of things like that that I can't do as a local-only iOS app. Mm. The business side is definitely starting to feature, I think, in the last year and a half a lot more heavily than I think a traditional iOS app would see it. 
what what's that like for you, Bell? Is that I, I assume not having run a SaaS, but uh, listening to a bunch of SaaS podcasts, it sounds like that kind of stuff is pretty heavy in the development. Yeah, it is. I think it probably could be a bigger part than it is for us because our main product is a personal analytics app, which means we have a lot of really personal user data really, really personal stuff. So we have to be really mm. careful about what we do with that, which means we're not comfortable using any kind of analytics where what our users are doing in our app is being sent to someone else's server. Mm. Even if their actual data is not, not leaving, we don't want anyone having their hooks in right. our product where people are dealing with their own data. So for that reason, and because who has the time to build your own analytics, we we have really limited data in terms of what our users do and you know we don't track things like cohorts and how long people last and that kind of stuff and there's a lot of data that would be super useful to us in those areas that we just haven't found a way to track it that we're comfortable with yet and when we just don't have the time to build our own so it, it's definitely tricky to make decisions where we would like to have more data like that that we don't but we we definitely look at things like when someone deletes their account they have to select a reason we've given them a handful of reasons of why they're deleting and they can leave a comment as well if they want to tell us why they're leaving. I look at all of those. They all come to my personal inbox, so I read them all. And we definitely take that into account when we're considering different features because we obviously want people to stay longer and we want to convert more people from the free trial to, to being a paying customer. So those are things that we take into account in terms of trends of why people signed up and, and maybe thought the product was doing something that it's not can really help with our marketing and our messaging or they signed up but then realized that there's a particular feature that they wanted that we don't offer. So yeah. that's really helped us inform our roadmap for sure. Yeah, it's definitely the idea of analytics is something that I've wanted. I, I was tempted this weekend to float out on Twitter like, hey, who's going to write an open source analytics package? Because I'm debating adding Firebase <laughs> to mine just to track anonymous data where I'd keep all the private data still on mm. my servers, but just anonymous data. And that could be incredibly helpful, but I'm still very iffy about adding Firebase and tracking that kind of stuff. So I kind of wish there's an open mm. source alternative that I could just drop on my PHP server and run my own analytics package and feel confident <laughs> that that data is yeah. is safe because I, I definitely don't feel that with Google. I know users care about that. <laughs> At least I'm not doing personal analytics that that with personal data. That would scare the heck out of me, Bell. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. Pa packages like that do exist for collecting analytics that you can run on your own server because they tend to be used by enterprise. I've mm. definitely looked around for them, but there's no real there's no real good ones. Like there's no really Well, you did say enterprise, so that's why. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean they all kind of they all kind of <laughs> they're all take expensive that. and they suck. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that they suck. It's just that they're the Jira of <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no disrespect to Jira. Uh some of my some of my good friends work on Jira. Uh, <laughs> um, but you know, Jira tends to be the sort of thing. Please where send all email to Jelly. <laughs> Sorry, Andy. You know, I've used Jira in a bunch of different uh, jobs and uh, on a bunch of different situations, and it's like it's really powerful and really good and really kind of full on. But it's exactly that. It's full on, and it's so so much stuff um, that when you're dealing with wanting to, to collect some basic stuff, sometimes it's just a little bit over the, like it's a bit over the top. And because it's so kind of flexible and powerful and all those sort of things, it's kind of a bit intimidating to get set up. And that's kind of the way that these, uh, analytics packages are as well. They're a bit, 
complex mm. and a bit, I don't know, you, you have to kind of wrap your head around them. It's this whole new thing that you've got to learn. And when you're trying to fit in like, you know, well, do I spend you know, the next week building a feature or do I spend the, spend the next week week just kind of getting my head around this analytics package? <laughs> yeah. It's not particularly, not particularly useful. Mm. Um, I, I've been using for a while now Fabric and Answers, which used to be Twitter and now is Google. Yeah. And kind of yeah um mm. i've never really felt particularly great about having it in the app i make sure that i only track certain stuff and don't track things that could be personally identifiable um please Same. see my privacy yeah. policy uh, <laughs> but uh you know i i would love to be able to um i'd love to be able to pull that out and do my own thing with it um if i could it's just it's just not it's not easy and i can, i can only imagine how much more difficult it is for uh, you and Josh Bell, because you've both got um, you've got various different platforms, and you've got all this other stuff, server-side <laughs> stuff, and oh god, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it it definitely makes it makes it more complicated, yeah, and and especially because a lot of the people who I consider my peers, who I look to for advice and ideas about stuff, uh, are really focused on mobile only apps you know an app that exists an app that is the product i yeah. guess rather than an app that is a client for the product and so yeah it's it can be tricky to find a solution that fits the the whole setup that we have but to finish up i want to ask you about how you plan out these features because we've talked a lot about choosing what features to build and then which ones to work on at which time but what do you do in terms of having some kind of a roadmap or a plan and planning into the future or planning a schedule for this kind of stuff? Is it is it just kind of work on what you want and, and release it when you can? Or do you have something a bit more structured in place? How do you keep an idea in your head of what you're working on and, and when it's going to be released? So a lot of it, I think, comes down to I generally have a pretty short roadmap. Um, I kind of have a gut feel for what I'd like to work on next. And I have a Trello-like setup uh, that's just kind of like the stuff I'd like to hit in the near term and the stuff I'd like to hit in the far term and the stuff that's just a backlog of ideas. Um, a lot of that tends to kind of fluctuate around what time of the season it is. Um, I, my roadmap, like right now, ever since the end of the season, I was starting to prep for my hypothetical November 10th ship date. So I had an eight-month roadmap at that point where I'm tackling, like, Sync just took me a month and a half to write. I'm starting a 3D view that's probably going to take me a month and a half to write. And so my roadmap is a lot longer because I'm picking out bigger features to make a big splash for the start of the season. And then once mm -hmm. I get into the season, my roadmap tends to be pretty much just what's next. You know, the next immediate version, just pull stuff off the backlog that I think makes sense that either I'm really excited to work on, or I think is a big win for the users, or is something that I need to get in mm. early in the season versus late in the season can be a determination there. But generally, I only have a focus for once I ship my big November update of, okay, here's the next point release, and I'll get to the next one after that. Um, I'm not I'm not very organized past uh, one release out usually. Um, and that's just the nature of I just have to move fast in the winter. So beyond some gut checks, it's just kind of, you know, I'll throw in what I can, but always keeping in mind, I need to ship every like month and a half. So that that, that affects it. Yeah, but that's kind of as far out as I plan. That's that's rough. I for a while I had uh, I had this idea that I would ship re really really regularly. 
because you know you see you see a lot of apps like Facebook and Twitter and all that sort of stuff where they they're releasing all over the time and they're always yeah. improving their product and they thank you for downloading the update. <laughs> um, you know, the, please turn on automatic updates in the App Store to ensure that you're always running the latest version. <laughs> So, you know, I, I, I felt that I kind of needed to keep up with that, given that I kind of exist in some sort of weird kind of leechy kind of way, you know, off of social networks. So I was, for a while there, I was trying to keep uh, just not, not quite as full on, but around a month, a monthly cycle for, for uh, updates. And that really did not work out because it meant that if anything was going to take longer than a month to build, then I just could never get to it because mm. it meant that I would kind of start it and stop it and start it and stop it or, you know, so I'd never started, I'd never started at all and I'd just focus on the little stuff. So last year, kind of uh, around May, I decided that I wanted to change things up and so I wanted to do, I wanted to stick to roughly two-ish, two kind of major releases a year. So I released a major version, I think 1.4, at the same time as iOS 10 came out. And then I sat down and I decided I tried to figure out what I was going to do for the kind of uh, until the next September and then um, kind of came up with a plan for, you know, two major versions with these kind mm. of tentpole features. Something that I can tweet about is really kind of the key there. Like I want to be able to say in a tweet, you know, this has got this feature and it's amazing mm-hmm. because that's the sort of thing that's yeah. going to capture people's attention. So, yeah, basically this year I've released one major release, which was actually supposed to be probably a month earlier, a couple of months earlier. And then I'm kind of all whole, all hands-on for September um, when I'm going to be releasing an actual major version. So I'm actually shipping 2.0 this year, which is kind of crazy. GIF-wrapped AR and VR oh. all in one. <laughs> We've, I've, uh, <laughs> so what, what you do is you put the, hold the phone up to your face like this and then you get each in one eye is different GIF. So it's kind of 3D, but it's actually just two different GIFs playing. <laughs> so you get a seizure. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's the Ted Ball feature. Now with seizures. So, Belle, what about you? <laughs> with your, uh, when you get your survey, you get a, it, it sounds like you have kind of a year roadmap out of that. Is that actually how far out you two plan? Or is that, is there a lot of wiggle room there? Or what is, what does your roadmap look like? Yeah, it's roughly a year's worth of work, particularly with some of the bigger features. Usually we can't get them all done in a year. So there are things that get closer each year. And this year we usually send our survey out every year sometime between about March and May, maybe April, May time. But we haven't sent it this year because we've got one big feature that everyone asked for last year and we just don't want the entire survey to be them all asking for it again when it's nearly ready. It's coming, so it's coming. We're holding off until that's released because <laughs> um, that feedback wouldn't be wouldn't be useful yeah. if, if they all asked for the thing we're building. So so it's, it's going to be a little more than a year this time around. But we, we kind of use that roadmap that we plan out from the survey as – sort of a North Star, I suppose, and we come back to it roughly once a quarter or something like that and and just look at how we're going and kind of plan what the next few big things are that we're going to work on. But in between that, we have a public roadmap where our users can suggest features and they can vote on features that they want. And for the most part, because we integrate with lots of services, it's probably 90% integrations, suggestions and voting for integrations. But there are a few features in there as well. And so Mm. that's we use that to prioritize integrations, particularly when 
when we decide that, okay, we're going to spend the next month doing some integrations, we'll just look at the roadmap to figure out what people are asking for the most and what's the most feasible. And we also use that for HealthKit integrations because HealthKit is such a complicated mess. It's not just one integration. Every Mm -hmm. type of data that you get from HealthKit has to be handled in a different way. So it's, you know, 20 integrations in one and I'm slowly working through those. And that's something where, whereas we have these big features that we plan for the product as a whole that will exist either just in the web app or in the web app and both our mobile clients, the the Android app is really just a client for our web app, but the iOS app has to also do all of the health kit code. And so it's kind of this extra thing that Android doesn't have to worry about. And so in between those big features that have to exist in the iOS app, I'm also trying to squeeze in extra bits of HealthKit integration every now and then. And so that's where that, that extra public roadmap comes in, kind of in between what people voted for in the survey or asked for in the survey. We kind of keep coming back to what are the new users who've joined up voting for? Mm. Or what's the most popular suggestion right now on the roadmap? And how can we fit that in in between what we've planned for the year? So I think that's probably all we have time for. Um, That was really interesting. I feel like we all have really different kind of approach. There's some overlap, but we all have really different angles. I really like, Curtis, how you have to work on a seasonal basis because I haven't really talked to anyone before in that situation. And I feel like it's a totally different mindset. Don't you think, Jelly, to to where our products just exist all the time and people just always use them and there's no start and stop of our season? I kind of wish I had that because... it kind of means that I would have like a, a built-in rest period, <laughs> I feel like. No, but then you have a built-in rest period to your revenue mm. too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Although then you just all get it condensed in like one four-month period. So, you know, that's also good. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if you want to get in touch with us about the show, you can find us at independence.fm. You can find a contact form there, but you can also email us directly at hello at independence.fm. And if you want to get in touch with one of us individually, you can find me at bellbcooper.com. And you can find me on Twitter at parrots, the plural of the bird. And I'm also on Twitter as Jelly Bean Soup. Thanks so much for listening and we'll be back in two weeks. Bye.